Welcome, listener, to another edition of Roman Records. On this week's show, we crank the volume all the way up till 11, bringing you some of our favourite, hardest, dirtiest rock tracks direct to your eardrums. So buckle in for a rollercoaster race with the rock of ages. We take you from the 60s to the 70s to the 90s and all the way to the present day. It's gonna be loud, it's gonna be raucous, and most of all, it's gonna be hard rockin'. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Hard Rockin'! Episode 11 of Roman Records. Yeah! Craig Templeton, how the fuck are you? I'm a rockin'! Yes! This is going to be high energy, folks, so uh, <laughs> fucking buckle in. No, but seriously, we're not going to be doing that all the, all the whole episode. <laughs> I don't think my throat could fucking uh, take it. <laughs> Your throat could take it. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we start, how we mean to go on, folks. Yeah, and uh, before we even talk... This is episode 11, we want to turn it up to 11, and I want to kick off with the band that fucking started turning it up to 11. So here we go, we're going to listen to Spinal Tap. Let's do it. Tonight, I'm going to rock you. You're free to just fall, beating you still got your baby teeth. What a way to start the show, Craig. Absolutely. I mean, as they say in the song, there's not a dry seat in the house. Absolutely not. And uh, very much the inspiration, or part of the inspiration behind this particular episode. Absolutely. You know I like to link the numbers to different things. You fucking do. It's the the mathematician in you, though, isn't it? It is. It is the mathematician in me. I mean, we do say, we, we talk about hard rocking all the time. We thought, fuck it, let's have a hard rocking episode. And like like I've said at the very beginning there, there's no better way than turning up to 11 with Spinal Tap. Absolutely. Um, obviously, <clears throat> a mock band that turned into, not a real band, but they definitely did tour after it. They released two albums. Really? Um, I actually, this is a bit of a cheat. We always talk about whether we own these records or not. I don't own that song on vinyl. However, however, I, I own that, that... one of the best ever records. Like shaped records, so you know you can get the shape. Oh, records. aye, 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 aye. So one of the famous scenes in Spinal Tap is they want a big model, a Stonehenge in the background. Oh yeah. But he accidentally mixes up feet and inches, <laughs> so he's a ten-inch Stonehenge behind so tiny, him. <laughs> I have got a ten-inch record shaped as Stonehenge. Oh really? And I think it's got Bitch School on it, which I didn't nice. really want to go with Bitch School no, because this no. song's so much better because it's filled with some of the most. Vulgar, inappropriate lyrics, but just so funny. Like, um, you're sweet, but you're just four feet and you've still (laughs) got got your your baby baby teeth. (laughs) You're too young and I'm too well hung, but tonight I'm going to rock you. Tonight I'm going to rock you. You just wouldn't get away with that. No, you wouldn't. Um, And, I mean, I have not done any research about any of the bands I'm going to talk about because I feel like if it's hard rock and it's going to come through my veins. Oh, absolutely. You're going to channel it. You're going to channel the energy. But... There's so many great things about um, Spinal Tap. They, they began just with um, Christopher Guest and Michael McKean adopting these characters of Nigel Tufnell and David St. Hubbins <laughs> and then brought in Harry Shearer who plays the infamous bass player Derek Smalls. 
And they have, one of the funny things that they have is uh, a revolving door of drummers who have all died and, what is it, choking <laughs> on someone else's vomit? Um, a freak gardening accident and one with um, just um, spontaneous combustion, which I always love, those kind of stories. There is obviously the favourite, the, the famous scene where the amps go up to 11. Marshall now actually put their amps to 12. Oh, really? I think it is a nod towards the film. Another, yeah. There's quite a lot of nods to the film. IMDb, you can rate the film up to 11. Ah, Every other film is up to 10. Nice, nice. Um, in the... Uh, <laughs> it's just so funny. In the film, they're touring an album called Smell the Glove. <laughs> and the front cover is a woman in a dog collar and she's getting a glove shoved in her face. <laughs> uh, which the record company obviously don't want. And they release an album that's just black covered. And you can't get any more black than black. The great thing about that is then Metallica released the Black, the Black album. album. Again, a nod towards life imitating tap. art. It definitely is. And I'm just I'm I'm rattling through this because we have eleven songs to play. We're gonna um kick off, I think, with my first tune. Yeah, before we do that, Craig, I just oh, just we're for gonna drink, aren't we? Well, we are, but also just for the listeners' benefit. Craig and I will be sort of batting the proverbial ball across the table back to my choice his choice and there'll, there'll be 11 songs in total in homage to the episode and homage to uh, Spinal Tap so there'll be um, five choices each and Spinal Tap obviously being the, 11. the 11th choice that we've already had so Craig accompanying yes I got ahead of myself you did um, you're getting very excited tonight I just want to listen to these hard rocking tunes yes. there's such a, such a little boyish sort of charm about you tonight I'm excited I'm excited I like rock and I mean these are songs that I, I really stood, stayed away from just going for the heaviest tunes we could have had a fucking heavy episode we'd be filled with fucking brutal noise but I wanted to go more cocksure swagger hard rocking yeah Um, but we need to have a drink with this this is actually going to be an episode of Rum and Records where there is no rum. We're drinking a rum there now just to kind of loosen ourselves up. Oh, yeah. Um, that doesn't but there is no that. rum in my cocktail. We're going to do a cocktail. Now, we know that a lot of rock stars have their vices. So this, um, so this might not be a cocktail. It's more of a rocktail. <laughs> so, um, obviously, there is a lot of kind of rock and roll spirits out there. Yeah. So what we're going to do... I don't have any measures here. We're just going to pre-pour this. Fucking hell. Pray, so a bit of Jack Daniels. Pray for our lovers. I don't drink Jack Daniels. I drank it like... That was like the first spirit I'd got into. A lot of people get into Jack Daniels. A lot of people go to vodka. It felt like the kind of cool thing to drink. It did. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I kind of wish that I liked Jack Daniels more than I... I mean, that's quite, that quite sweet. Um, but yeah, it's I, no rum. Absolutely. I, I remember this... Uh, article I read like in a magazine I can't remember what magazine it was um, but there was a picture of Tommy Lee from uh, Motley Crue Motley Crue and the other guy from Motley Crue the singer guy I presume yep. and they're each holding a bottle of Jack Daniels and they've got like a groupie sucking their cock <laughs> <laughs> and that was a lifestyle they kind of led it do was, you know who made Jack Daniels famous though? it's probably someone like Ozzy Osbourne or something Frank Sinatra like. Sinatra? Sinatra. Fuck. was introduced to Jack Daniels and then he was like, every single kind of picture and I want to be involved in it. I read that on uh, one of those big posters in the London Underground. Do you know where Jack Daniels... Jack Daniels always writes big fucking long stories on their advertisements. And I read it. You just, you just stand there like that. Uh, again, oh. like I said, I've done no research, so don't quote me on any of this. But what we're going to do, we're going to make a cocktail. Many vices to a rock and roll star, one of them being Jack Daniels, so we're going to go with a big... 
clog of Jack Daniels there. Ah, that'll do. That'll do in the now. Right. It's going to be strong. Um, well, obviously there's vodka as well. Vodka, another key vice of the of the rock star, the the rocker. Um, you we're going to be absolute here. Usually absolute or probably Smirnoff or Stolies. I would Glens. say. No glens. <laughs> Vladivar. <laughs> Whoa. I once got a vodka called Sputnik vodka. And in, in uh, Oddbins on Great Western Road. Is that not like a brand of like fucking paint stripper? <laughs> I think it was. It's fun like paint stripper. <laughs> okay, so we've got Jack Daniels vodka. And this these are quite large measures. One thing we should also point out is it's going to be more like a picture. It's a, a picture. 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 Um, but I don't have any pictures, so I'm using a Brita water filter. <laughs> you know what? Say what you want about Craig, but he's he's resourceful. He will make do. He will. You nearly had a plant pot, mate. <laughs> um, we're going to go then with tequila. You make me happy. Absolutely. Tequila definitely involving a lot of rock songs. Do you remember, like. Um... Terror Vision? Yes. No, I wasn't going to say that, but tequila made me happy. I did, I did used to like Terror Vision, but. Um... I think was it Q magazine they used to do this thing uh, it was the rider or the you know, yes it was a week and I like I do remember that and it was like what bands requested mm-hmm. and it was like actual things and I remember actually a band I've talked about before a band that I don't actually fucking like uh, but Craig's got a little bit of a soft spot for them yeah maybe some of their early stuff Biffy oh yeah aye. so they were always like uh, case of th- case of this case of that blah 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 Two bottles of tequila, and it was like, absolutely not Jose Cavero. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so this they, is El, El Humidor. <laughs> humidor. Which always makes me think it's like a, a humidifier. <laughs> but humidor. it's not a humidifier. No, it's the place where you go and you walk, <laughs> you walk in to get cigars. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Humidor. Yeah. <laughs> humidor. Right, so we're going to... Oh, for fuck's sake. I think that's enough of that. For <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, man. So we went with uh, one brown booze, two clear booze, and... This one is a favourite of mine. It's not really a hard rocking spirit. It's more what my mum would drink. Um, I really like it. I just want to own this song every sniff of it. But this is a special edition. So we're going to go with Southern Comfort. That's that's, that's pleasing. But this is a Southern Comfort Black. So they've taken a lot of the sweet notes. And I was talking to Craig earlier. If you don't know, Southern Comfort is just your typical kind of sour mash. Yeah. Similar to Jack Daniels, but it's then got filled with macerated peaches. I didn't know that. I'll... And that's where its sweetness comes from. I love that. So, this is maybe a bit too much alcohol. Quite possibly. If, but... you, if you know a Brita water filter, we've got about, I would say, near enough half in that water There's filter. There's quite a bit of ice in there, to be fair. There is. Um, near enough half is it alcohol, and then we're just going to top it up with Coke. Right. So, it's a bit like a Long Island iced tea. We'll call it a Long Island Craigie tea. Craigie tea. How much cola, by the way? All of it. All of it? Yeah. Just fucking dilute that fucker. Now, I remember making this back in the day. My inspiration came from my days in university, where they actually used to do a drink called a... All of it? Dirty Sanchez. Just put it all in. Well. That looks good. They did a thing called Dirty Sanchez. Um, you and your Dirty Sanchez. By the way, yeah, I... Have I mentioned the Dirty Sanchez before? Yeah, it got ble- you bleeped a lot of it. Well, anyways, if if I can't, I can't remember if I did, but if you don't know, it's when you put your finger in somebody's. Fuck it, we go. Take your finger out and then draw like a little moustache over the lip, and that's called Dirty Sanchez. Um, Dustin Diamond, very famous for doing that from Saved by the Bell. What's his? What was his name again? Screech. Screech. Screech was a fan of the Dirty Sanchez, but it later came out that he made that all up. 
Anyways, and now that we've made that cocktail, we can we massively digress once again. Um, let's try this. Uh, so we give it a wee shake. There is no garnish. It's just four different um, parts of alcohol. I would some like coke. some of the some of the the ice. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll be lucky enough that'll come through. It's just serendipity. If it comes out, it comes out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't come out, mate. Folks, it doesn't come out. This could be terrible. When, actually, before you even get a drink, when was the last time I gave you a terrible drink? Uh, well, to be fair... On this podcast? Never. It's never happened. Well, one of those shots... No, actually, the shots terrify the me. The shots don't matter. They don't... They terrify me, but the shots should... They don't count. The shots should terrify you, arguably. By right, the way, um... That's shiting out there. So... It's actually quite nice. And you're not, like, fucking gagging. No, no, no. I think there's a, a, the right amount of coke. It's strong. Aye. I can feel it. It's, it is hard. It is rocking. But it doesn't taste like you're just drinking four. No. No, it doesn't. I'm not I'm not just drinking raw alcohol. It's strong. Yeah, oh. it is a bit strong. But it's nice. And I really... It does taste like how I remember it. I think there would be more sweetness if we didn't go with the... Southern Comfort black and just went with Southern Comfort. Possibly, yeah. But I've, I've made this before and somebody was like, oh, it tastes like dandelion and burdock. It does a wee bit. Aye. I think that's the tequila. Yeah. Tequila and Jack Daniels mixed together. We've got those two distinct flavours. Yeah. By the Anyways, way, come on. Let's so, get some music. Let's, let's get cracking on. So, Craig, first track. We're going with one of the most hard-rocking fellas I know. Um, he influenced young teenage Craigie T to, to get that fucking distortion up on his guitars. Nice. And it is, of course, Jimmy Hendrix. Big Jimmy. Jimmy. Moan the Jimmy. Moan the Jimmy. Yeah, so um, Jimi Hendrix was a huge influence when I, I started learning the guitar like most teenagers do. And, yep. and my guitar teacher was like, you should listen to Jimi Hendrix. And he, he gave me more of the kind of the Hey Joe sort of shit. Oh, yeah. Um, but then more this... The kind of, more the kind of bluesy kind of aye, stuff. Aye, aye, aye. But this was... This is definitely, as we say, hard racking. Absolutely. Um, and this actually, this track... Is the first ever track that anybody would have listened to if they were from the UK, Jimi Hendrix, if they'd bought yeah. his debut album. This was the first song on that. The American version has Purple Haze, I think, which again is a fucking hard rocking track. Yeah. But I, this is so direct. Um, it's got that kind of bounce. Both you and I got up and started dancing, doing the whole fucking Garth dance <laughs> yeah, from, from Wayne's World. Um, and like I said, I've not done a lot of research on this sort of stuff. One thing I did do is I watched a video about Jimi Hendrix. And uh, they kept talking about why is Jimi Hendrix such a good guitar player? And like he does so many incredible things. But there's this thing called the Hendrix chord. Oh, really? Which he kind of revolutionized or he really played on it. And it is a dominant seven sharp ninth chord. Okay, now for all you music buffs, you'll know what I'm talking about. But we generally call that the Hendrix chord. And it's kind of discordant. <laughs> 
Um, and it's just such a hard rocking tune. I love it. Very distorted, early, well, mid-60s. He, he must have been one of the first people really to be using heavy distor- distortions and p- Definitely. Pedals. And being a left-handed guitarist with it flipped upside down. Like, total counterculture, yeah. I would say. The whole wah-wah stuff he does. On. Absolutely. Like, he really brought that to the forefront. Yeah. Of what's going on with kind of rock music and Absolutely. what a guitarist can oh, do. I mean, he's like virtuoso, famously couldn't read music and no, all that kind of played stuff. Played with his fucking teeth, set yeah. the fucking thing on fire. He was like, he, he was like the sort of, uh, he just typified that kind of rock and roll oh. star and, you know, kind of really what we're here to kind of celebrate in this episode. And, and I'm pretty sure he was the one that started the 27 Club. Yes. I think he must have been one of the Quite first possibly. ones to die at 27. Quite possibly. On his own vomit. Yeah. Not on someone else's vomit. No. <laughs> on his own vomit. <laughs> on his own vomit. Uh, yeah, Jimi Hendrix rocking there with Foxy Lady. And we did talk also, so it's not just about Jimi, not to take anything away from Jimi. No, not at all. But we talked about the rhythm section particularly. Absolutely. You you, you hit the nail on the head there. Mitch Mitchell, I think. You what said. a fucking great name. Mitch Mitchell. Is it Mitch Mitchell? Mitch Mitchell. A fucking amazing drummer. Him and uh, Noel Redding, the bass, bass player. player yeah. So what a three-piece. Uh-huh. Super fucking tight. Great. And both, I think both... They were British. both English. Yeah, yeah, both, yeah they both. were both English because the Jimi Hendrix experience was definitely an, a British band. Yes. With very, an American guitarist. Very much so. So Craig, next song, moving swiftly on. Yeah, it's your pick. Where are we going? So I think we're going to stick in the 60s. All right. Uh, we talked about... Uh, the Swinging Six, we've talked about Carnaby Street, and we're actually going to stick to another, this time, fully British band. A revolutionary. Yeah, a, well, a revolutionary, a little bit of an indie band, a little bit unknown for most people. A <laughs> uh, little band called uh, The Beatles. <laughs> you might have heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, so, some of the cooler kids might have heard of them, as I like to say. So, no, nah, but all joking aside, obviously The Beatles, the most famous band in the world, arguably. Um, not really known for being a hard rocking band. Um, certainly a, a band that's uh, we're definitely letting ourselves down. Def- the, the early times we're we're going for not such hard rocking bands, but we have to respect where it's came from. We do. Um, and but they're a band that's very much known as being kind of genre defining and uh, in in many ways. And they've kind of if you look at their career, obviously from the early doo-woppy, poppy kind of hold your hands. Yeah. Uh, to the more experimental Sergeant Pepper phases and uh, LSD inspired and looping and backwards sort of kind of stuff. But this kind of comes slightly after that. Uh, and around about the same time as sort of Jimi Hendrix was doing his thing also in London. So the track I've chosen is from the 1968 double album uh, known as the White Album, it was just called The Beatles. Uh, and the track is called Helter Skelter. We're going to play it now and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> So that was The Beatles with Helter Skelter from the 1968 album The Beatles, better known as The White Album. And that album was a real mishmash, but that album stands far and above not just being a hard rocking track on that album. It's like the most hard rocking track The Beatles have ever done. 
And I think it's an absolute fucking phenomenal, it's, it's phenomenal track. Roller coaster esque. I mean, I know they've named it Heller Skeller like another big fairground yeah. ride, but it definitely feels like it's in motion. There's a lot of Led Zeppelin in there. Ringo sounds like he's doing some fucking John Bonham fucking. Well, that's a. He's obvious. He gets a lot of criticism, Ringo, and probably. He's a good drummer. I mean, some of it's maybe. Well, you know, maybe being rightly so, but there he's. And at the end, if you're patient enough to let it play right out, and he does scream, I got blisters on my fingers! <laughs> that is ge- absolutely genuine, and they kept it in. He, you know, after maybe so many takes of that, it yeah. must have been absolutely fucked. <laughs> but I love the fact it was kept in there. Interesting you talk about Led Zeppelin. So the track was said uh, to be inspired by a lot of the sort of hard rocking English bands of the time, Led Zeppelin, and uh, in particular The Who. Um, so there was an interview, allegedly, that Paul McCartney had read from Pete Townsend talking about their new album. And he talked about this song... Uh, I can hear for miles. He said it's the loudest, dirtiest, most raucous song that they've ever made. Mm-hmm. And actually, I've, I've listened to it since then, and it isn't actually that big and dirty and, and loud. But McCartney was like, well, I think we could... I mean, what if we did do something like that? And it just shows, like, how good they were. If they wanted to do something, they could, they could go do and it. do it and do it actually yeah. better than these bands who kind of made a career out of it. So I thought that was actually really, really cool. Cool. Right. So, I mean, I have to admit, Beatles, hard rocking. The two usually don't go No, hand absolutely hand, not. Tune, and that's why I picked it. Does. And actually playing this while we were talking, there's a lot of kind of bands from this era that we would have loved to have picked. Yeah. But we have to talk, we have to go through the rock of ages, not just absolutely. specific time periods. Sorry to interject, but that does actually seem like a good time to mention that. Uh, one of the stipulations behind this was this had to be stuff from our respective Regular collections. Because yeah. there was a few things I was like, oh, I'm going to pick, like, fucking uh, Motorhead, Ace of Spades. And, uh, yeah. and I was like, shit, I don't own that. So it did make me really have to think about what I wanted to choose. Yeah. And it also made me <laughs> it made me realise, like... You're not that hard rock. No, <laughs> in my collection, I'm a complete pussy. It was like, oh, this kind of, like... Nice indie and fucking yeah. ambient, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" I was like, "I do really like hard rock and stuff," but in my collection, for some, for whatever reason, I've, I've I've chosen not to have too many in the collection. So maybe that's remiss of me, and I have to go back and sort of rectify that. Can I post well, this? Well, talking about being in your collection, the next band I'm going to talk about is another band that kind of helped me in my formative formative years. <laughs> it was the uh, second ever gig I went to. And it's Black Sabbath. So it was the original line of a Black Sabbath. Was your dad that one? I know. My dad took me. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, Ozfest 2001. Ozfest Donington. You were a wee. No, it was Milton Keynes. It was Milton Keynes. We hard rocking bastard. Aye, uh, so I went there. Admittedly, I only went because Papa Roach were playing. <laughs> but there was massive bands there. Got my life to pieces. But Tool played there. And I, I still love telling Tool fans, oh yeah, I saw Tool, I saw in 2001. I, like, I can't remember their, their set. Like, Anyways, shite, talking about what we actually own, Black Sabbath, the Godfather's a heavy metal. Like They've spawned so many sub-genres, like yeah. doom metal, stoner metal, all this sort of stuff. Aye. I don't own their first album, and it's my favourite album of theirs. I, don't, I do not own Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. I've got I, that. Do you? Yeah. It's a fucking phenomenal. But obviously I couldn't pick it because I saw that you'd already picked it. (laughs) 
So it was kind of two Black Sabbath so tracks. I took, I took my dad's record collection when I started collecting records. Or, well, once I started fully collecting records. I've had a few records before that. So I actually picked a song from Sabotage, um, which is, I think, their fifth album. It's, got to say, it's, got to put it's quite later on. Ozzy is still in the band. So it's before Heaven and Hell when, when Dio joined and co- totally changed the kind of musical landscape. But Sabotage is kind of an underrated album, I would say. Right. I actually was lucky enough to see Black Sabbath on their farewell tour and they did play some tunes from Sabotage. And the reason that it's called Sabotage is for their first four and probably their biggest albums, Aye. the record company was taking most of the money. They had such a shady contract that the record company and the management were taking most of the money. It's like the opposite of factory records. Yeah, pretty much. But it's, it's also a tale that a lot of people have went through. Yeah. Like they're just getting used. And the reason that they called it sabotage, obviously like Sabbath, sabotage. Mm-hmm. Um, but they felt like they were getting sabotaged by everyone around them. And this album, this album actually touches upon a lot of new genres. Kind of like some of it's kind of thrashy. Yeah. Like inspired the big four. Anyways, um, we're going to quickly just jump in and start playing this Black Sabbath track and then we'll we'll talk about yeah. it a little bit. This song is called Hole in the Sky. I'm pumped. I'm pumped, Craigie. Get it on. So there we go, hard rocking from Birmingham, England. Not the home of heavy metal. Fucking is, by the way. Fucking Judas Priest. Deep Purple. Deep Purple. I think we've talked about this before. We have. So obviously, Black Sabbath, innovators in the, their musical style. You were asking who the guitarist is. The guitarist is Tony Iommi. And, and the reason that they have such a fucking down-tuned, heavy sound is he had to make the strings looser because he has no fingertips. He worked in a in a in a metal factory, like cutting metal, and oh, he cut yeah. all the tops of his fingers. Fucking hell. So do you know what he did? What? Milk caps. Milk bottle caps. Wrapped them around his fingers. Really? And used them as fingertips while he was playing the guitar. Fuck. And in order to do that he had to lower the, the tuning. Jeez. So that's where we got that distinctive sound. Such low tuning was from the reason that. he didn't have any fingertips. Like product of his environment and Aye. he had to adapt. Yeah. And it actually div- it made this amazing sound that mm-hmm. otherwise might n- probably would never have happened. And then it's going to inspire, as we said. Supposedly say, another inspiration to them having a heavier sound was um, King Crimson. Um, supposedly they were oh, just sounding like a bit oh, like any other kind of oh, cream Led Zeppelin kind of band. Although Led Zeppelin kind of came around about the same time, but they sound a lot like Cream. And then they heard King Crimson and they realised, we can get fucking dark. Aye. We can get dark here. That was like almost like a... Uh, that was like... Oh, we're allowed to do this now. Aye. Oh. oh, they've opened the floodgates. We can go with that. So next song goes over to Craig. Yes, and we're going to we're going to fast forward a little bit and we're going to go into the early 90s. Uh, with a band who were very much part of the the movement that would become known as grunge, mm. uh, and the band in question is drumroll, not Nirvana, Soundgarden. One of the best voices in rock. Absolutely, this guy Chris Cornell, 
voice of a fucking angel, but the bands sound like fucking demons made in heaven, really. The song is from their, I think it was a third album, uh, Bad Motor Finger, which oh, I think yeah. was a second, oh, third or fourth album uh, on a major label. I'll tell you after. And the song is one of my favourites. It's called Rusty Cage, and we're going to play it for you now. Yes! I loved that. That was great. I have heard it, but I'm not the biggest of Soundgarden supporters. Do you know what? I always had a bit of a soft spot for them, and uh, they were always overshadowed by their more commercially successful sort of, um, not label mates, because they weren't always on the same label, but the... Genre mates. Genre mates. And they were from Seattle. They were. Everybody was from fucking Seattle back then. Back then. uh, I think... Chris Cornell is a frontman, and we said as a vocalist. Oh Jesus! Yes. Fucking honestly, Chris Cornell's voice is not grunge. No, and it's a bit like when you listen to the Deftones, and they say, "Oh, that's just new metal." No, the Deftones no. are not new metal. I mean, they I, they came out at the same time. They Chino's they kinda, voice like, is yeah. just yeah. There's so much influence from like '80s fucking post-punk and yeah, pop. Totally, that they couldn't be new metal. Totally, I was gonna look at it like I talked about the Beatles earlier. If you think about like. Say, like, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden were, like, members of the Beatles. Like, mm. um, Pearl Jam and Nirvana would be John and Paul, whatever yeah. way you want to cut that. And, but, like, Soundgarden were George Harrison. George was the best. Beatles. He was the best. He was a little bit more cooler, a little bit more off-kilter. My sweet lord. Yeah, exactly. He had some of these, like, songs that you just look back and think, fuck, that was amazing. Um, so that was, uh, that was Soundgarden. That was uh, Rusty Cage. Final mention on that, there's an amazing cover by Johnny Cash of Rusty Cage. Is there? Fucking great. Oh, that's cool. You know, he a whole American that. songbook thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Rusty almost, Cage. it's different. It's got that old... I obs- can imagine that quick pace, like, going into a does, It rhythm. fucking really works cool. really well. So check that out as well if you get a chance. Well, we know that grunge came along, but grunge was also the death of another genre, and this is the genre I want to come back to, and that is... 80s kind of hair metal <laughs> kind of hard rocking hard cocking we mentioned Motley Crue um, I'm not the biggest fan of Motley Crue in no. fact I don't think I am a fan of Motley Crue no, I'm not but there is one act there that, that were fucking amazing amazing musicianship groundbreaking musicianship in a way um, very much so but their tunes are just amazing and this song is so over kind of fucking sexualised but it's about a motorbike this is of course Panama by Van Heenan. Craigie T bringing 
Van Halen to the table. We couldn't have this without Van Halen. No, actually. we couldn't. We couldn't because supposedly they've been credited as restoring hard rock to the forefront of the music scene. And um, this is, I think, again, I think it's like their fifth album or something like that. Is that from it's, 1984? Yeah, it's 1984 is the album title. Yeah. Um, it's the one with the baby. The baby The, the kind of angel smoking a, a fag. Yeah. A cigarette. Cigarette to you Americans. <laughs> And this is one of the, the albums where Eddie Van Halen brought in synthesizers. I think it was one of the first albums where he brought in synthesizers. This is definitely a hard rocking track from that album, but you've also got Jump. Very synth heavy. But this this tune, we've mentioned before, we we met working in a kind of consumer electronics retail store. Consumer electronics retail uh, store. Maplin, I think you call it. It was Maplin. No, it was Maplin no. we met, yeah. It was, uh, was it not? Oh, it was Ryman. Ryman? <laughs> Ryman Station. <laughs> Stationery. Yeah, but they sell printers. No, it was, uh, it was uh, Dixon's. Dixon's. We were in Dixon's. Comet. 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 <laughs> Comet. We met in Comet. Anyways, remember the... Banging Offs and Zeppelin? Or was that the Bowers and Wilkins Zeppelin? Who made that? That was Bowers and Wilkins. Well, I fucking loved that um, speaker. Yeah, it was, it was huge. It was fucking great. Fucking looked cool. Looked cool. And on one of our demo devices was Van Halen's Panama. And this was always the track that I would put on. Because it's fucking... So nostalgic, Craigie T. Massive. Yeah, it's, a sound, big, it's a big sound. It's a big sound, sound on record. Um, this was in the heyday when Davy Lee Roth was um, still singing. Mm-hmm. After the uh, parting ways, Sammy Hagar came on board. They did bring in like a, a shittier sound. It definitely is a shittier well, sound. Well, do you know what? Sammy Hagar had one of those fucking Britney makes, as they call I'm it. I'm not like a big aficionado from all things Van Halen. And I will do a wee plug here for a, a mate of mine who's who got a Van Halen podcast. Yeah, and it's, called, that, it's yeah. called uh, Ain't Talking About Van Halen so if you like your Van Halen or you're interested in no more go check that out they've got ones dedicated to every album there's a lot of Sammy versus uh, David Lee David Lee Roth uh, conversations on there so uh, go check that out but sorry Craig continue oh, I just don't think it's as good but yeah it's such a hard rocking song I can't really talk about it too much because I didn't take any fucking notes well <laughs> I said during, during the, uh, we listened to it I was like if you've watched Stranger Things, uh, the, the, the most recent um, series, series three, series three, yes, like Billy, the character Billy, um, who's like the tough brother of someone, <laughs> some wee bird, some wee bird. Uh, he's the one that shags all the mums. Ah, he's like, he's a total fucking milf fucking slayer. <laughs> milf slayer. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's got that fucking terrible eighties haircut. Milf slayer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's got a wee tash as well. <laughs> he's got a wee bum fluff mustache. <laughs> it seems to work for them. And he's like, uh, but I could just imagine him listening to this shit. Oh, absolutely. Driving about and he's like, fucking I mean, that's what I love kill. about this song. This is a song about a fucking motorbike. Right. Who sings about motorbikes? Not, no cunt now. It's like, no, these days. Everyone's trying to be too c- cerebral. Yeah, I, I bet. No, David Lee Roth fucking loves There's his There's a lot to be said. Can we just sing about a fucking bike? <laughs> Can we just, like, have fun, rock out, and sing about fucking bike? So that, we've went to the 80s. Where are you taking us now, Craig? Uh, where am I taking us now? Um, I'm actually going to go... I'm going to continue with my 90s theme. For, okay. For good, <clears throat> for good reason. So we're, we're fast-forwarding fast slightly 
into the 90s. So we had 1991 with Soundgarden. And now we're going to go to, I think, 94 off the top of my head. <laughs> no, sorry, 96. 96? 96. No way. One of my favourite years. I've talked about it a lot in the pod. What else came out in 96? A lot of good stuff. All right, cool. A lot of good stuff. Cool, we'll look into that later. That was one of Craigie's years. Uh, I was 10 years old when that came out. <laughs> that was like, remember we talked about Summer of 69? Summer <laughs> of 96 for Craig's mother. Summer of 96. So the band in question are Rage Against the Machine. Oh, yeah. What a fuck! What and what? Oh, this is hard rocking. This is fucking hard. What amazing name for a band. Um, and I've actually gone for a track from the band's second album, and arguably inferior second album. Anyways, we'll talk about it after. What song do you want to play? So the song is called uh, "Bulls on Parade." Oh, we from, all fucking know that one. Come and on, it's let's from go. Evil Empire. Yes. That is like a shot in the arm, that song. Oh, I was up, I was up dancing, I was a fucking Jeez, bouncing by oh the way. Just so good, so good. It's, it is fucking like, it's like adrenaline, it's fucking flowing through it me. It is just like a shot in the fucking arm. It really is, after listening to that, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I just, it, there's, there's so many facets to that song, so many stuff we could talk about, between the, obviously the, you know, the well-documented political motivation mm. behind a lot of their lyrics and Zach Delaroche's uh, sort of anti-establishment, anti-capitalism in a lot of ways, uh, sort of movement around particularly what's happening in the US and their foreign policies and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm not going to get into that too much, but from a musical point of view... Yeah, Tom Morello is like fuck. fucking pioneer. Oh. We already talked about Jimi Hendrix and his kind of pioneer. Very, well, but, but then he's another man with a wah wah pedal yeah. like that just fucking takes it out of the fucking realm of normal musicianship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And at that kind of time in my life, I was like in a band and I was learning how to play bass. So I kind of like veered towards like stuff that was kind of like quite bass driven and bass heavy this is one of those bands though. absolutely so uh, Tom t- uh, Tim Bob as he was known uh, I think Tim Comerford or Tim Comerford something like it's got Ford in it yeah and people like Chris Novoslavich and Nirvana with that real melodic bass sound and particularly in this song see when that you mentioned it when we were listening to it there when it drops into the version it's like it's just such a different kind of the bass is really driving a lot yeah. just the rhythm the melody as well and that's because Tom Morello's like creating soundscapes with his guitar Absolutely. that allows that space for the bass to actually take on and I fucking on. love 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 that honest uh, to god this this uh, band are so good but and I know we're going to talk about it they paved the way for such shit music that followed them. Absolutely fucking fucking Limp Bizkit well, Kid Rock. 
Absolutely. Like, and can I just actually? Oh. I, I was I was reading about this. So, um, the basis. So, sorry, his name is Tim Comerford. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I quote here, and he said uh, during a Rolling Stone interview, he says, "I do apologise for Limp Biscuit." Uh, he says, I really do. He says, I feel really bad that we inspired such fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, I don't actually remember this at the time. He says, one of, it was one of his most notable moments. And they say one of the most, the most notable moments in rock, but I can't remember it, so it can't really be. Was crashing the stage and climbing the backdrop during Limp Bizkit's MTV Video Music Awards speech in 2000. I do remember that. As Durst and company took the stage to accept the best rock video for Break Stuff, beating Rage Against the Machines, uh, Sleep Now in the Fire. Sleep Now in the Fire was a fucking belter of a track. Comerford perched himself 20 feet in the air, swaying the giant backdrop while a team of security guards and stagehands looked on bemused before climbing after him. And this was definitely around about the time where music television was my life and that's all I watched. So I, I remember that. And he basically said, like, the only regret he had was not, like, fucking... Jumping on him. But basically bringing the structure down to like crush and kill them essentially <laughs> <laughs> and um, like you said there is a link between there these is. two choices that you've made because obviously Chris Cornell and the band the musicians of Rage Against the Machine joined forces to create Audio Slave yeah which has like their first single I remember a lot of build up people were like what the fuck there's a super group in town and this yeah. is the first time I ever experienced that and it had such a long intro. And they were climbing up these towers. It took minutes for that song to kick in. It was such a hard rocking fucking riff. And, I th- and Chris Cornell's voice, it never sounded better. And there was such a good marriage there between oh. those two. It was like amazing. I think they had, what, two albums together? Yes. Yeah, yeah two albums. And then you saw other bands kind of follow suit. Remember like Velvet Revolver? I was just about to say Velvet Revolver, by the way. Another super group. Super group. Um... They were quite good as well. I mean, That's they had some uh, good fucking Scott, songs. Scott Vyland and... Was and it Guns N' uh, Roses? Guns N' Roses, yeah. Aye, yeah, aye. it was like... Slash and fucking Duff McKagan and all those guys. Yeah. So, it came to me, and I don't know which song I want to go to go first with. Um, I think I'm going to go with a good old rock revival tune. Now, there was... There, when I was in my university kind of years, there was a, a big rock revival... Specifically, an Antipodean rock revival. You remember Jet? I do. Are you going to go my way? Famously, do you remember Lemmy opened for Jet in Glasgow? No. He was asked to go and open. Shut the fuck up, right. Tell me this story. In fact, it wasn't even that big then. He didn't, I don't even have his own TV show. And they like, saw his like, videos online. Well, like the whole, I got it for blue. Like, Requiem, man. Aye, all that kind of shit. And they asked, oh, Jet have went from here, like down in the fucking bottom of my shoe, yeah. to about my knee level now. So if you go and Google like Jet, Lemmy and YouTube. No, they didn't. And it, but he's he has gone like, dun, 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 dun. He does some like mental <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> And I think there's a lot of bemused fans here, like, what? The fuck's this but then you've got your Glasgow fans who love both of them. That's fucking great. I had no idea. Yeah. That's probably my highlight of this podcast. So, anyway. fucking go Anyways, see that. we're not going to listen to Jet. We're going to listen to a, a smaller, more hard-rocking, probably a lot more honest band. 
Um, Jet Li, I always felt, was more of kind of posturing. Like, yeah. I remember the Vines as well. They were oh, fucking god-awful. I remember, there was I remember one, seeing them on... Um, one really good song, though. What was, that, what was that TV show that they did? SMTV Live. <laughs> SMTV Live? No, CD UK. That was the thing that followed SMTV. CD UK! Anandak! And fucking cut. You're what doing great. What's our race, cat? Cat Dealy. Cat Dealy. Doing great, cat. You're doing great. Um, yeah, I remember them being on it and they were like bemused. Anyways, we're not talking about Australia. We're going to talk about New Zealand. The uh, home of my wife and the spiritual home of my son. This is probably one of the most hard rocking bands there is. Rock revival, fucking swagger, fucking loose, fucking raucous fucking noise. Swearing. Swearing? Um, like, this really reminds me of, like, MC5, Kick Out the Motherfucking Jams. Oh, nice. nice. Um, this is, of course, The Datsuns. The Datsuns. With Motherfucker From Hell. Yes! Do it! Yes, man. Honestly, that was fucking phenomenal. It takes you back. And it was only like fucking uh, maybe like 15 years ago. Do you know ago? what? Thank you so much for reminding me about the Datsuns. I, I mean, I actually stumbled across the Datsuns again when I was in a charity shop in Dumfries at the top of the Venel. For anybody from Dumfries, you know where that is. And I'm, I got a, such a good fucking seven inch hole. I got lots of Idleworld seven inches. Oh, I remember that. I got Badly Drawn Boy and I got two Datsuns. You had a wee... You had a really good haul that day. It was fucking good. Anyways, I had to buy this one because um, I didn't get that. This is actually the B-side to the Lady. Is that, inch. is that a B-side? Lady! Lady! Like, fucking, every song is fucking hard rocking. Um, but no, it's such a good album. Um, they definitely are, like you said, they're doing it for a good time. New yeah. Zealand does have this kind of retro feel to it the fact that they're called the Datsuns as well is is very telling of New Zealand yeah. because they love American muscle cars Aye. which is strange because they're such an eco fucking warrior country where they won't allow like nuclear weapons and stuff like that but fuck it they love gas guzzling cars yeah and we were chatting also um, there is similar-ish bands of the era like the darkness yeah, the and darkness. stuff like that but we also were chatting about how I think it's more authentic from the Datsuns. It definitely is. They're totally... There's such a pub rock scene in New Zealand that they just fucking excelled at what they've done. You just feel like, we love this music. This is what we like to play. We'll do our own interpretation of it. It's not like, oh, we're going to like contrive this to try and get a hit out of it or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. The they just did. fucking... And they, hey, listen, fair play to Darkness. They, you know, they, they did their thing and they got some fucking massive hits and Absolutely. made a lot of money, I'm sure. So good but to hear on them. like, the whole Southern Hemisphere, especially the Antipodean kind of section, they do have some regal fucking hard rocking, like, royalty, including, like, obviously ACDC. Oh, fuck yeah. Like, I, they, like it's in their blood. I almost encoded them, but yeah. I thought you might have, like, fell out of me. No, no, not at all. They're from Scotland, originally. Angus. Angus and his brother, Malcolm. Yeah. Angus and Malcolm, two good Scottish names. Anyways, Craig. 
Give us your second last song. So second last song uh, is a band with, I think, one of the best names of a band ever. And they've got some wonderful names of albums. Mm. (laughs) Uh, So the band is called uh, Killdozer. Yes, (laughs) yes, you you didn't hear that wrong. Killdozer. Killdozer. Yep. Like uh, a bulldozer, but for yes. killing people. And it was inspired by uh, a sci-fi short story that was later made in a film about a a, bull, a, a malevolent bulldozer, essentially. <laughs> that uh, I almost was like, I don't want to say possessed, but it was kind of possessed by like a meteorite that hit. It was a kind of sci-fi horror. Shut the fuck up. You're taking this too No, far. I'm not. Listen, it was like a meteorite that hit into Africa and... Uh, there was just a, a bulldozer there, yeah? Well, this bulldozer was, like, clearing up the site, and uh-huh. it kind of became, like, sort of intoxicated, shall we say, by... By meteorites. By whatever this kind of, like, alien... Power was. Power yeah. was, and started, like, basically fucking killing cunts. Nice. So, that was the inspiration for the name of the band. The track name, please, track, I know it's going to be a good one. The track name is Knuckles the Dog, in brackets, Who Helps People... Uh, from the amazing album title The Uncompromising War on Art Under the Dictatorship of the Proliterate um, And this is uh, Knuckles the Dog And this is Kildo's on Let's play it Oh, I cannot wait I'd have to say you brought the weirdest thing to the table. It's usually yeah. me that brings something no, I know, out there. I know, like this, I know, I know. This is it hard rocking? Yeah, I would say it is. It and its relentlessness it is hard rocking. Yes, absolutely. And it's got it. I was saying during us listening to this, it sounds like all the bands we've talked about so far put into one. Yeah, maybe not Van Halen. No, actually, but no, like definitely kind of bluesy, sludgy, like just driving forward. Yeah, music. and I think the have been maybe not overtly cited by the bands you mentioned as being influences but you know maybe inadvertently or subconsciously influenced and some very directly and I'll come on to that but uh, so for those of you that don't know and I think probably most people listening to this podcast won't know this but um, so Killdozer are a trio from Madison, Wisconsin so they're kind of known for their kind of slow grinding thumping drums and bass and that but very much that distinctive growling. Uh, I like the fact that they vocal. tell a story in this song. Do you know what? And this is again a kind of hallmark of Killdozer. The themes of the songs, they're not your run of the mill. Okay, <laughs> it's quite to see, but <laughs> they're often darkly humorous. But, oh, definitely. But quite often they can be quite disturbing. I don't know if you're a fan of like, the butthole surfers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, one thing I talked They're about... They're very is much off-kilter. Um, off 
you and I obviously we talked about this before. Like it, it started off with a kind of playlist where we added songs yeah. and kind of introduced each other to different bands. And this was one of the ones they added to me, and I was like, "What?" This was the first time I, I went like, "Like this boy's not fucking around." No, this boy's bringing me fucking shit that I've not heard. He's done his fucking research. He knows I've never listened to this band. Yeah, he knows I'm going to be into this. Yeah, and do you know what? I mean, the, the, this band are like uh, they're said to be kind of like the forefathers of grunge and. So when did this album come out? So this album is actually their fifth album. This was okay. nine, this was their kind of later album. So this was after kind of grunge came and they were still yeah. there making Yeah, this, this was, this was uh, in 1990... I think it was 1993. It sounds like a 93 album. However, the interesting thing is if we circle back, uh, their 87 album, uh-huh. um, which was called Little Baby Bunting and their 12 point buck were produced by fellow Wisconsinite none other than Mr. Butch Vig oh was it? yes and it was very much said that Kurt Cobain heard Knuckles uh, well not Knuckles no not this one but uh, 12 point buck and yeah. and it was said to inspire him to make Nevermind to be heavier and obviously it brought to my attention of Butch Vig and vice versa to Nirvana. I hear more of this sound. I know I know that this wasn't the album that we were talking about, but I hear more of this sound in, in Utero. Like well, the, this is the weird thing, right? He, here's distortion. a weird thing, right? Here's a weird thing. So uh, obviously uh, in, in Utero was 93, produced by Steve Albini. And then the weird thing is it was kind of like role reversal because 1995, their last studio album, Killdozer, which was called uh, God Hears Please of the Innocent, was produced by Steve Albini. Oh, nice. So it was a kind of like a flat, and I liked that kind of kind of sort of uh, role reversal. I would strongly recommend checking it out. I'm going to check it out. It's just something, it's, it's just a bit different. It's out there. It's very much hard rocking, but maybe not in the sense of... Sludge rocking. And actually, they did like influence a lot of that kind of like... Slow core, sludge core, core yeah. whatever the fuck you want to call it. But um, for me, yeah, with a like a sarcastic kind of element to it, very much. So there's a lot yeah. of humour there. I, I I like it. There's a lot of kind of nice facts about it. It's like Knuckles was like he was raised to be a greyhound. He wasn't good enough. So they were going to send him to the glue factory. He was rescued by this boy who had cerebral palsy and he was blind, and they had this beautiful friendship. But there's this real darkness to it as well. So he goes to the elderly home uh-huh. to like bring some joy into these like elderly people's lives. <laughs> there's a line that says they were abandoned by their children. <laughs> <laughs> Very true though. So it's like we'll fuck you in the home. We don't give a shit about we'll you. Saying the dog, a wee dog is anything he brings a bit of joy to your life. But it's dark. But it is. There's a lot of truth to that, and there's a lot of that kind of black humour and every time I think when I hear Knuckles the dog I always picture that meme with the dog with the little hat drinking a cup of coffee in the house Aye, this, is fire. this is fine this is fine this is fine anyways um, we're closing into our last two tracks and we talked about that we must own these albums technically I do own this album I just don't have it in my possession yet so so you've ordered it I've ordered it yeah and this is this was one of those you're shopaholic no, 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 this is one of those white whales that everybody's wanted for oh. a long long fucking time I love to harpoon a white whale and <laughs> harpoon a white whale you should uh, start <laughs> <laughs> I can't 
<laughs> that was amazing. Um, that was fantastic. A big white whale. Um. So, anyways, this this time of the year is bonus season for uh, for a lot of us. And I managed to get a bonus. It was a very tasty bonus. I'm sure that um, the taxman will take a lot of it away. However, I, I took that time to actually decide, you know what, I'm going to sign up for one of those vinyl subscriptions. Now, I have been... I have signed up to a vinyl subscription before. I signed up to Flying Vinyl. It was pretty shit. Shite. It was. And maybe that's because I'm too old to really get excited about new music too much. Like, I want new music to come at me when I've got an album, not a fucking seven-inch <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Anyways, I saw an advert for Vinyl Me Please, and which you have been a member of before. Yes, I was a member when it came out for probably two or three years. I have cancelled it. I wasn't getting paid enough at that point to actually become. A member. I wouldn't say like, listen, I cancelled it. I wouldn't say I like it was shite or anything like that. I just felt some of the records I was getting, and you can't swap them. Yeah, but I, well, that's the nice thing. I don't know. I was just like, I felt I was swapping every every month. <laughs> you just didn't agree with their choices. Yes, exactly. However, this um, they they did a big advertising campaign because they got three of the biggest or three of their biggest releases and from from day dot. Um, one of them was Queens of the Stone Ages songs for the death. The reason you know when a when an album is really sought after on vinyl is that the bootlegs are going for as much as the fucking original copies. Yeah. I remember bootlegs yeah. going for a couple yeah. of hundred quid. Yeah. These are bootlegs. They could sound like fucking sh- fucking dark. Absolutely. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Hey, you know what? I've I've got a bonus. It's worth it up for it." Just I like. I mean, this is this is a little bit of my bonus, and I think I'm going to treat myself. So I signed up for it straight away. So, technically, I do not have this album yet. It is being released on double black vinyl. If you are with Vinyl Me Please, it's a black and red marbled vinyl, not a splatter vinyl. So don't fucking say splatter vinyl. I will fucking end you. It is marbled, which is a whole different kettle of fish. We talked about, well, we listened to the Datsuns already. During that track, we talked about how much we loved fake endings. This album yes, is fucking we did. littered. Littered. With fake endings. And this song is no different. I think it's got fucking two or three fake endings to this song. So the song that we're going to listen to is a track called Song for the Dead from the album Songs for the Death. And we're going to listen to it now. What a fucking riot, by the way. It's so good. I just love the doom, 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 doom. And the, like, the drum fills at the beginning. Doom, 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 doom. Yeah. And actually, the, the final kind of drum, drum fill before they get into the meat of uh, the song yeah. was taken from a Black Flag song. Oh. So nice. um, it's, it, they're kind of harking back to the kind of punk influences, yeah. those hardcore influences. But... This is Queens of the Stone Age, probably at their peak. This album had 
some of the best musicians available. So, Queens of the Stone Age came from the ashes of a stoner rock band called Caius, um, who were, were quite integral in the stoner rock movement. Josh Homme. I hate saying Homme because it looks like it should be Hom, but he pronounces it Homme, so I'm going to call it Homme. What a prick. And I can't even produce it, pronounce his own name right. Um, Wanker. <laughs> so, Josh Homme re- recorded the first album by himself. It was just him, really. The second album, which I know you've told me you think is the best album, Rated R. I do. Um, and you were fucking raging with me. Well, I was raging because I fucking love this album. It does have some good tunes, like Feel Good Hit the Summer, all that sort of shit. Monster in Your Parasol is a good tune as well. Mm. That's when Nick Oliveri came in, who was also a former member of Caius. So you had those two guys um, recording, and then this album came along, and they brought in Dave Grohl on the fucking drums. So Dave Grohl's like a massive superstar at this point of fucking Foo Fighters. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, I want to get into fucking drums again. He's like, I love drumming. And the thing is, he takes, like, he had a fucking great game with Nirvana, but he fucking ups it in this, in this. Like, yeah, he does, he does. He, just this one track you listen to, it was like, how the fuck did that guy not die when he was recording this? The amount of drum fills he brings in, the amount of fucking timing, like we just did, like my favourite bit is when it's like, like just going yeah. into it. The he, drums are, you the, could clearly see he was fucking enjoying it. The drums are phenomenal, but there's a guy who just, I'm a drummer and I fucking love drumming. Okay, he's going out and do other things. Aye, and he's basically, like, I went back to this project because drums are where my fucking life is. Exactly, that's his kind of, his kind of heritage, if you like. And the crazy thing is, Josh Homme, like, write, writes the songs, records the songs, brings in Mark Lanigan from Screaming Trees to do vocals. So a lot of this album doesn't even involve him on vocals. He's got fucking Mark Lanigan. One of the graveliest voices. Like, this cunt had cigarettes since fucking age you, six. And, and do you know what? Like, as soon uh, as he went to school, he was like, do you want a fag? I got it. He's got amazing vocals. And do you know what? Like, I love how there's a lot of, like, interconnected, like, fucking tissue, if you like, between Roman Records. Uh, Greg Dooley and, and Mark Lanigan released an album. The Gutter, the Gutter Twins. Twins. Aye. So there's so much kind of like this yeah. kind of like interconnectivity between yeah. the shit that we like and we uh, don't even know it yeah, sometimes. Aye. I love that. I fucking love that. But I'm Matt, Matt Lanigan fucking what a voice. Yes, absolutely. And the, the reason I bought, like, uh, brought this track to the table is that it involves so many elements. So it's, you've got that fucking quick paced like driving fucking rhythm then it goes into bluesy kind of stoner rock yeah with the vocals of Mark Lanigan you've got the drums of one of the best fucking drummers Dave Grohl you've got the rhythm section of like Nick Oliveri with his bass I really wanted to actually pick uh, Millionaire which is the first track on the this album right because Nick Oliveri sings on it and it's a fucking hard rocking track as well it's fucking intense but I decided to go for this because it has all the hallmarks of a great song. It's got amazing drum fills. It's got a driving rhythm. It's got, I think we were counting three or four fake endings to yeah. this song. Like you think, oh, it's done. No, no, it's it's fucking going again. And we did joke about this actually. Like if you're at a gig and you can take this kind of like little superiority kind of like, mm-hmm. I fucking knew that they were going to play again. Yeah, exactly. Like when a band does this little kind of little like uh, what's it called like some pause you know that song. yeah I know what you mean and the fans that know that know it's part of the song but then it was like hey, hey, hey. And they go there again you're like 
Mate, it's fucking... Fucking amateur over here. Wait to the fucking end to clap. It's not the end of the song. It's a little pause. Pregnant pause. Pregnant pause, I was going to say. Pregnant pause, that's exactly... A pregnant pause. Fucking calm yourself. But, but, this, but like, this does it three or four fucking times. The other thing I love about this album is that it was the best of us. to be as if you were taking a drive down to um, the Joshua Tree. Like, you're going from California, like, kind of... Populated California. We like talked about driving, LA, driving down to before the pod, didn't we? Yeah, we did actually. Yeah, you're right. But the thing about this album is it intersects with kind of fake radio broadcasts. It's like got oh, it's like fucking uh, it's like KLF. Kind of like that, yeah, absolutely. But they have like all these different sorts of people doing different fake radio broadcasts, and it's such a an immersive album. So, is it uh, would you call it like a a themed album? It's kind of like a concept album in a way. Yes. Aye. However, the but the, the themes itself, but the, track the, the themes aren't world. linked. I don't think the themes are linked too much. I think the the actual album, the concept is just a driving album going okay. from this point to this point. The songs themselves, I don't think, are linked together. Okay. Um, he has this ongoing project called the Desert Sessions, which right. I don't know if you've ever heard of. Nope. You ever heard of the Desert Sessions? So basically, he gets a group of artists to go into the desert with him. And they um, stay there for a few days, weeks, and start recording music together. And it's actually produced a lot of music that isn't on future kind of Queens of the Stone Age albums. Um, but they have they so they've done desert sessions quite a, a number of times. There has been a bit of a break, but they're cov- they've come back. Actually, I think it's been released this week. Desert sessions volumes eleven and twelve have been released. Right, and it's got. Um, <clears throat> Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. It's got the uh, Les Claypool from Primus. You know the fucking oh, bass math, there? Math rock. Um, it's that got math rock. a couple of artists from Warpaint. Oh, Warpaint. Warpaint. Oh, I like Warpaint. But most, well, there's also got Jake Shears from fucking Scissor Sisters in there. Gonna take your mama out round and I'll be in the And someone that we've mentioned on this podcast before is Matt Berry. <laughs> Is involved with Desert Sessions Volume Fuck 11 and 12. Barry. And uh, it turns out that. But! Sorry. <laughs> love that. Father! I fucking love that. Anyways, he's involved in this album. And it turns out that Josh Homme was a massive fan of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Huh. And the guy that plays the lead singer in Toto in Yacht Rock, so linking lots of podcasts together here, um, was also hanging out with Matt Berry. He was like, I need to go around to my mate Josh's house. And they're like, oh, that's cool. No it turns out it was Josh Homme. Fuck. And it was at the studio. And they made an impromptu video, like a kind of comedy video for Queens of the Stone Age's website. Liam Lynch, famous for United States of whatever. Uh, yeah, I was like, it. whatever. <laughs> whatever. 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 He directed it, and ever since then, they've kept in touch, and they've done a lot of things. Uh, they did the Adam Buxton podcast. You know Adam Buxton? Oh, from so, Adam and Joe show? Yeah, oh, so the two of them are on a podcast together, just talking about like their friendship and how they kind of hung out. We should... We should be on that. We should be on that. Uh, it sounds about right. We're, we we're should at that kind of fucking peak moment right now that we should be on that. We should be more prevalent. Anyways, they're really good pals. I don't know where we're going with this. It's a fucking hard rocking album. It's a fucking great album. If you do not have it, take the opportunity right now to buy this album. Because, take it from me, record collectors have wanted this album for fucking years. I and now you have the opportunity to buy it. We, um, we're going to go to our last track, but before we do, Craig, we're nearly at the end of this jug. We are. 
How has it treated you? It's treated me pretty well. Surprisingly good. I think it'd be good between more than two people. So we're going to go to the last song. The last song of the evening and the honour falls to me. And I wanted to bring us home with something, you know, with something true to the... the it'd be fucking hard rocking. It is fucking hard rocking, of course it is. If it wasn't, you would... Probably not love it. You disqualify it almost. In fact, I know what song this is. This is the, this is another song that you put on our first playlist. I did, and uh, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite songs. We got punk rock, hard rock, whatever you want to fucking call it. Uh, there's many genres of rock, and hopefully we've explored quite a few of these tonight. The not... harder of the rocking. Like, yeah. Like I said, it has to have kind of swagger. This one. As much as it comes from a punk background, does have its kind of rockabilly kind yeah, of it definitely vintage does. rock and roll. It feel does. To it. it has that really rock and roll feel to it. And this band, uh, there was two reasons why I chose this because yeah, just purely from a rock. I just love the tune. Um, some of the lyrics are questionable. Shall <laughs> yes. we say? Shall we say? Just a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Um, I'm not condoning any of those lyrics. Or those actions. <laughs> All those actions. <laughs> Please do not follow them. But actions. also, the band are very closely sorted with the horror genre and being like it's Halloween week. Very true. I just thought, what a great way to end the pod this week from a band that uh, sort of really en- encapsulate that so very well. So before we say what the band is, this has been a hard-racking podcast, episode 11. We have turned it to 11. As we've said throughout, these are not the heaviest tracks. These are just fucking groovy motherfuckers that give us a big old rock-hard erection. Um, and we're going to go and finish off with a kind of punk rock song. Um, but does it definitely has its um, inspiration in rock and roll. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the song is... Misfits with last request. Last caress. (laughs) Misfits with last caress. Have a good night, everyone. Take care. Bye. here to stay. That concludes episode 11 of Rum and Records. We really hope you enjoyed this one. Please remember that you can check out the playlists on rumandrecords.com or on Spotify. And if you are enjoying, please remember to comment and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, listener, stay safe, but most of all, stay hard rockin'. I get blisters on me fingers! <laughs> <laughs>